Hello, my name's Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima, and this is Sex Live and DM Slides. Where we invite our celebrity friends to dive deep into their DM boxes to see what terrors lurk within. We'll be chatting about online trolls, online dating, perverted proposals, and why everyone's so weird on social media. Sex and Lies and DM Slides. This podcast contains adult content, graphic details of our sex lives, and the filthy contents of our inboxes. You have been warned. Hi, Gizzy. Hello, Sydney. Welcome back to another episode of Sex Lies and DM Slides. I don't know why I'm welcoming you back. <laughs> it's nice to see you. <laughs> Welcome oh, back. Thanks, Sid. It's nice to be here. I guess I should probably explain <laughs> that I'm your host, Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima. So this week, Sid, I come across a very interesting article on Vice. It was a study by Professor Alicia M. Walker on infidelity. She interviewed 46 men about their cheating experiences and and I gotta ask you, do you think men cheat more than women and what the reasons are? I don't know, Gizzy. I mean, I know what you're like implying that it's gonna be more like likely that I'd say the men, but I feel like more recently I've noticed more women are more cheaty. Are they? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> this article is suggesting that you are right. <laughs> it is quite a weird mind bendy thing, because we always assume that it would be the man that cheated, and for the reasons you would expect it would be down to the libido. But actually, the men tend to do it because they feel rejected emotionally. And it's the women. Who... I mean, that's a lot of bollocks, isn't I it? I get it. I can see a lot. Okay, I'm going to be really controversial in what I'm going to say here. But I see a lot of my friends, a bit older than you, a lot of my friends are settling down. And I've got a lot of male friends who feel thoroughly unloved by their wives. And they are in a relationship where they feel like they want to be loved and adored and still feel like somebody who is sexy to their partner and I think women feel that too of course they do but I do understand that we would almost naturally project that it would be the man who didn't require the emotional side of this but women have gone through years of not having their needs met and they didn't cheat like so have men you know no because they always allowed to go and work and like I'm just thinking about the 1920s (laughs) get out of Bridgerton Now, I hear what you're saying. Look, that women have been sort of oppressed because they've not been allowed to work and therefore their sexual needs have never really been considered. But we're in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> women do work now and a lot of women are working with kids. Life's exhausting. And if you're in a relationship for a long time, is it easy to keep the sexual sort of prowess up? I feel like if you choose and you commit to be in a long-term relationship, then I think you better do it. You can't cheat on people. You can't cheat on people unless it's like a mutually agreed situation. But like one of the things my mum said to me growing up was, doesn't matter if you don't want to, you have to have sex at least three times a week. Oh my God. Isn't that fucked up? To be fair, like, I've been in a relationship where like, I kind of had sex every day and I'm really just like, oh God. I will have sex as often as I can because I really get a lot out of it. But I do think the pressure is that you've got to make your other half, no matter what sex actually, feel special and wanted. And you need to push sexual boundaries because yeah. to keep romantic and mm. to keep sexy in a relationship, you've got to keep having sex. The second you start fizzling out and having sex, that's when people might feel rejected and like their needs aren't Have being Have you met. ever been in a relationship that sexually fizzled out? Look, I think naturally it always changes from three or four times a night to, you know, once a week over yeah. a period of time. Once a year. <laughs> yeah, I've never been in a once a year. I may be in a once a week. I've not really been a once a month person. Like, I have my own needs. You've got to keep it up. And so my mum's saying that you have to have sex three times a week. Is it that stupid? Is that advice shit and misogynistic and unrealistic? Or is it critical to maintaining a sexual relationship? 
I think the key words were like, if you, even if you don't want to. I mean, that's a bit yeah. like... <laughs> Lay down and take it. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit of an issue. Get I'm going. not saying it's rapey. It's just like, <laughs> what, what it is, is you just have to find it in you to actually want to have sex. I understand the intent, but I think if you really don't want to, you shouldn't. Yeah, but I do think that you have an obligation to another person to keep a relationship alive sexually. This may be old-fashioned, but I really fucking do. I think it's critical. <laughs> <laughs> Who have we got on the show today, Gizzy? Today we have got Nimco Ali. She is uh, the OBE Nimco Ali. Nimco was born in Somalia, moved to Manchester when she was aged four. I've known Nimco for a very long time. She is probably the biggest spokesperson I've seen who talks about female genital mutilation. She nearly died from it and had to have reconstructive surgery from the age of 11. She is a lawyer. She gets a lot of online abuse because, check this, she's a black woman who is also a Tory. She's best friends with Boris Johnson's wife, Carrie Simmons. She's just written her first book, What We're Told Not To Talk About, But We're Going To Anyway, and it's a series of conversations with women about the subjects of sex, masturbation, periods, pregnancy, the menopause, and more. Bloody love her. She's great, isn't she? Anyway, here she is. Sex! And lies. DM slides. <laughs> Nimco, how are you? Um, I'm okay. I'm living through a global pandemic, so <laughs> every day is historic. It really is, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's just so fucking mad. I've been following you for years. You're a political activist. Yeah, I'm a social activist. I co-founded this organisation called the Five Foundation, which is the global partnership to end FGM. And I'm a survivor of female genital mutilation. And I never thought going to university and doing all the things that I did would lead to me talking about my vagina on a <laughs> professional basis. But that's what I do. So yeah, I'm a campaigner against this like fucking horrific and weird form of violence. Because for me, when I had FGM when I was seven, I just thought it was stupid. So I've just like spent the last 10 years trying to tell a lot of white people who want to academicalize the abuse of brown women that actually no it's just fucking stupid don't try to understand that let's just work together in order to end it so that's what i do so where are we at with fgm globally at the moment so before the global pandemic we were getting some traction there were some successes so there are 200 million women in the world so there's more women that have been victims of fgm than any other kind of form of violence and then there's about 60 to 70 million girls at risk between now and 2030 and places like kenya were doing some incredible work but because of the pandemic and because of the way that things have been structured the way that we fund where we've been going to massive aid industries and all these things everybody pulled out so in Kenya in one village in Kenya 4,000 girls were cut in one month and that's like a brutal form of FGM it's not just like a nick it's really brutal and then those girls were married off into sexual slavery so it's a bit fucked up at the moment but I'm hopeful I think if Covid has actually made us realise anything it's like how close we are as a globe and if one of us sneezes we all get a cold Mm -hmm. ironically so let's actually really start looking at African women because if we let Africa down I think there's no point in us talking about climate change or all these other kind of things because if Africa's fucked then we're all fucked Can you give us a brief history of your experiences from being so you said seven or eight years old Seven so yeah. yeah I was seven when I had FGM and I had a really invasive form which basically meant that my clitoris was unhooded and then my anatomy was kind of cut and then stitched together so I literally as a seven year old girl had my vagina stitched together to keep me pure So actually close up. Actually stitched up, actually stitched up. So there's always a massive fascination around sex and FGM and it's a valid point because the virginity of women is seen as a commodity within these mm. communities. So basically my virginity and my bloodline was going to be sold to the highest bidder whenever I got of age. And then at the age of 11, I was in primary school in Cardiff and I basically collapsed. I had no idea that the pain that I was feeling was leading to my kidneys failing because oh. if you've got your 
vagina stitched up, then it's not really easy for you to urinate. So basically, I wasn't clearing my bladder as much as I should have naturally. So that kind of developed into a urinary infection and then that went into my kidneys and then I just basically failed with almost kidney failure. And that's kind of where my activism and my whole kind of journey started because I was an 11-year-old in this massive institution in the NHS and nobody actually said anything to me. And I was just thinking like, I know I had no idea what happened to me before when I was seven because I was trying to explain that. But now you've actually seen it, so can you at least just have a conversation with me? Yeah. And I really understood then at that moment how sensitive everybody is about the female anatomy, yet they're so consumed by it, but nobody wants to talk about it. So my community didn't want to talk about it, and the Western world I was living didn't want to talk about it. And I just thought, you know what, just fuck this shit, I don't even want to just deal with it. So then I just left it there because I thought I was free from the experience of FGM because I had this defibrillation. So the type of FGM I had is called infibrillation, which means being stitched up, and the defibrillation is when they open you back. Right. This happened after your kidneys failed when you were 11 years old. Yeah. You, you had yeah. that surgery immediately. Immediately. Then. And it was like, so the medical intervention. But I just thought the whole point is I'm lucky that my FGM happened out of context. I always say that in the sense that I had a family that believed in FGM but didn't believe in all the other kind of gender norms. Like the fact that I had to wear the headscarf, I had to study certain subjects, I couldn't mix. So I was very free in a different way to many other girls that I was growing up with but still had this really weird thing. So then... And nobody wanted to say anything. So I just went off and started to read books and try to find ultimately what this thing was. And there was an Egyptian writer called Noelle Adesalawi who wrote this incredible book. And she basically was the first person that put it into context. It's the fact that, that it was a form of violence against women and girls. But it wasn't my position, I thought, as a kid to be able to educate and talk to people about it. So I just kind of like left it there. So I understand the theory of why, keeping the purity, why you would be sealed uh, sewn up but the splitting of the clitoral hood then your clitoris is fully exposed yeah and then they basically hide it behind so behind the, whole, the, the whole they, thing yeah they stitched the whole thing up so it was only three years after my FGM that I had my defibrillation had that been done several years later there would be no way that the surgery could be fully opened because it would have been so sensitive it would be like exposing the roots of your tooth to the air so sharp it's so sharp yeah so, yeah, so sharp it's not sensitive so the whole point is that I don't have the little hood bit that's mm. there but it's there in the in the mix as it, as it were have they rebuilt you a little clitoral hood no no, no no they haven't rebuilt yeah. anything and yeah. just like and also because i was so young from a community that is so consumed by shame i'm not that embarrassed about my fgm i'm actually more embarrassed about the fact that people are so ignorant about the anatomy mm. but that's not only just mm. my community it's also the west as well so then i have to deal with so many misconceptions in the whole dating world because if you google me the first thing is going to come out is fgm and then if you press images then you're going to see all these gory images of what fgm is mm. so yeah. I always have men like sitting across from me having like these mental pictures of what my anatomy looks like. Does it look much different? I can't. Well, it depends. So, like, you know, there are different kinds. So, so what mine would probably would look like would be like something that you've probably seen a horn film. I was going to say, nice and neat and tidy. <laughs> tidy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like very kind of flat. There was somebody that tried to give me a compliment about my anatomy. And I thought, you don't actually know the context of. Well, who? Who? A, a guy? It was a Somali guy. Yeah. And I, at the time, I actually assumed that he didn't know I had FGM. But then when I started doing the activism, I said I was, I was going to do this event and I'm going to talk about my own experience of FGM. So I just want to tell you that I had FGM. And then he said, yeah, I know. And I thought to myself, you fucking dick. Like, if you knew that my anatomy looks the way it does because of a fucking horrific mm-hmm. guy, why were you so complimentary about it? And that really kind of, like, scarred me for a bit. Yeah. What was your first sexual experience? 
It was a guy who I dated from the age of 19 to 23. Because we dated for so long and because that was my first experience, I ended up thinking I had to marry him. Yeah. So <laughs> I was I was raised the Muslim, educated the Catholic, yeah. so I had some fucked, oh, up, wow. <laughs> fucked up things about sex. I wrote a book about the female anatomy and in the chapter about orgasms, I said, I can't put a finger on my first orgasm, but I know I had a hand in it. Because <laughs> I literally did. It was like, I consumed so much of Channel 4 when I was growing up. It was that was where my sexual awakening. John educa- Snow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I used to I used to fancy John Snow. Weirdly enough, so 2014, I ended up meeting that woman whose book I read when I was a child, and he was interviewing her, and he started going on about his circumcised penis, and I was like, I don't want to imagine your circumcised penis, John. <laughs> also, it's not the same. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. You just started going like it's circumcised penis. I was like, it's not the same. And also, I don't yeah. want to think of your dick in this conversation. Right <laughs> yeah. And that's what they always do. Now I can't stop yeah. thinking about John Snow's dick. I'm just putting that out there. They always do. That is the problem. Is like. I was on a podcast with your uh, toxic male producer once and I I talked about the first time I met Jeremy Hunt and he was like oh can girls like you have an orgasm and I was like well it depends on how good you are in bed literally FGM has nothing to do with your ability to orgasm it's all about intimacy and trust and a lot of the women who've had FGM are married off quite young so they're being raped on a day to day basis and you're you're definitely not going to be having an orgasm when you're dealing with somebody that doesn't respect you yeah so what's your type? Like, who do you date now? Do you know what? African-American men. No, so sorry, let me, let me correct that. Black American men, because the whole conversation about African is completely different. You get the best of both worlds. You get the intelligence of a well-educated, like, English guy, the jokes and stuff, like the cultural kind of narratives. But then you also kind of get a little bit more fun. I used to date only Somali guys, and then... I went a little bit more fucked up and just used to date just exclusively Tory boys that went to boarding school. <laughs> because it was the shared childhood trauma, honestly. It was the fact that they were sent away when they were seven. I was mutilated when I was seven. Yo, Every, everybody always finds it like thinking, oh, it's not the same. But it really is. In order to be sent away by the people you love to a place where you'll probably be abused mm. and for them to say to you, oh, this is going to be good for you and all that kind of stuff, yeah. it has scarred a lot of like <laughs> really successful men. <laughs> and, um, and it makes them better in bed, actually, so... Does it oh, make the Tories bed? Tories are good bed? in bed. See, they, I've got to put my hands up and I've never had sex with a Tory, I don't think. Uh, I think mean, probably a closet Tory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's new labour, though. <laughs> Sorry, that's all of us. But Jacob Rees Mogg used to be my crush. Really? No. no. Explain no. it. I need, to, I need this explaining to I me. don't know. I just, I literally do think it's just one of those people that he'd be very attentive. Imagine he's not getting it in bed. He's not doing it politically. He's got six kids, anyway. He's got six kids, but yeah, so. Yeah, that's true. You know, the most, um, the voted the hottest MP was Rishi Sunak. (laughs) Who are are your top three sexy MPs then? This is the problem is that you never meet your crushes. Yeah. (laughs) So you get super disappointed because I know all of them. It's like... No. Never let all crushes run the government. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a guy, I'm not going to name him, but he's in the House of Lords, okay? Yeah. Old, so I like them old. But the whole point is like, it's a power... And also, actually, you know what? I find intelligence more attractive than looks. Me too. So I was with my ex once, the first white man I dated, and we were all like hanging out, and I said, oh, I've never really dated a hot guy. And he looked at me like this, and I said, <laughs> I said but you're really funny, hun. <laughs> you're really smart. And he's like, just stop digging. But yeah, I've never actually really, like, actually all the hot guys I've ever met have always just been, like, boring. Mm. Tall is always hot. So my type is tall and funny. Do you ever do you ever use any apps for your dating? Well, I downloaded Hinge, mm. and there's a guy who was married... Last time I knew. So he's on there. I was like, what the fuck? And do you know what he did as well? He used a picture where he just cut out his wife. I'm like, I'm like that picture's on your fucking Facebook. I know. Like, 
Do you think people are using Hinge then for just hookups? No, but it's not for hookups, but he's serious about looking for somebody. Oh. But I just thought, like, choose Maybe a picture. Maybe choose a new, a fresh picture. But he's not still with his wife. wife. No, no, he's not still oh, with his wife. No, no, no. Basically, there's a picture oh, right. of the two you, of them. He's chopped you. around. Yeah. Like that. I was just thinking, like, and also, I know that picture's, like, five years old because it's on your Facebook and I know the date on it. So I thought, <laughs> fine, I'm going to go on Match.com. So I still had my stuff registered in Bristol, like, my credit cards and stuff, because that's where I'm from. I logged on with my credit card and stuff like that. And my mother, because she's an African mother, opens everything and scans through it. So then she said to my sister, oh, like, somebody's, like, you used their account. So then I said to my sister, well, like, I technically am on Match.com. And my sister's like, well, your mom's just going to freak out. And then my mom's, like, acquainted it to being a prostitute. Wow. Because you're actually putting yourself out yeah, there because and a boy can come along and cheese yeah. you. So then I remember putting on there saying, like, what I wanted to date was Caucasian between six foot and six foot five. And anyway, so I basically, like, you know, narrowed it down. And then this guy popped out who ended up dating for, like, years and years. And it was just really weird because the first thing I always ask people is, like, what's your name? Where did you go to school? Because I don't really want to fan about because the whole point is like, <laughs> if I am going to marry a non-Somali person, they have to be at least of a high caliber. Because like my mom's like, I'm like, I'm not. It's not for me. It's my mom. It's for my mom. I'm not going to date a white guy called Colin. Colin, <laughs> Kevin, Lee, none of that stuff is happening. What was the posh name that you'd like? So I, I don't know. Michael is good. Michael. Theo is very good. <laughs> Andrew is perfect. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Henry. That's Henry, Harry. Yep. Jacob. We love Jacob. Good, solid names. Yep. Good, solid names means that it comes from good, solid stock. So, like, Cosmo. That's, like... Yeah. No, yeah, but he like, could come from good stock but have, like, hippie parents, yeah, you know, and they, like, go not, off But that's bit. not good stock, though. That's the whole point. Oh. Like, the, the reality is that it's not just about me and you having a baby. It's, like, the grandchildren. Like, the whole point is that these are the people that my kids are going to be related to if I do have kids. I've got some frozen eggs in the moment. So I'm technically thinking about looking for sperm out there but yeah so it's just like you have to subconsciously think about these things because I know in choosing to date outside my race and for me it's not just my race because being from North Somalia we're all like descended from three great grandfathers we're called the Jews of the Horn yeah so and, and if he's Jewish even better actually so that's the whole point a good Jewish boy might be good like good Jewish boy named Jacob secular hopefully but <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I can roll with so you say you're looking for some sperm what would your sperm criteria be no but I'm looking for the, a man with sperm not <laughs> really, so I, can't, I can't do the test tube thing, like. no because the whole point is like because I said stuff. that it's like my mum and my community still use the term bastard so I'm like if I am going to have a bastard child, at least I still also need to have a physical mm. creator of the bastard. So I can't actually also have... A bastard for the bastard. Yeah, for the bastard. For the, <laughs> just like a non-existent, like a just for the ghost bastard. I can't like, you know... But I'm not actually really that intent on having my own kids if I can't meet somebody. So I'll probably just adopt... Yeah, I sort of feel the same. Can I be bold and ask how old you are? Just turned 38. 38, yeah. I, I'm 41 now. Yeah. I, I sort of find myself in that position of, do I, don't I want kids? I'm not sure. And then I'm, I'm really scared that I'm going to get to that point where it's I'm... It's the end of the world. I, yeah, I sort of Have think I don't Have you thought about freezing? Because the whole point is like, I just thought it was going to happen. And then during lockdown, I ended up like doing the fertility treatment to freeze my eggs. You have the peace of mind because I'm thinking if I wait till I'm 45 or whatever it is, then at least I have 37-year-old eggs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. I think it is the end of the world. I think I maybe yeah. have established that it's not going to happen. And if it does, then I'm going to be able to put it down to luck, I think. I'm yeah. not sure. But yeah, I think it's a really bold move, though. I mean, a lot of my good friends uh, who, who are around my age are doing it now. So one of the things is like it's actually not regulated as much as we think. So the UK is one of the only Western countries that actually doesn't have any regulations on how many drugs the women are given. So women are mm. like hyper-stimulating all these things. But it was really interesting because... 
people are not really open about race and culture and stuff like that. And the idea is that I don't have the privilege of just like say I'm, I want to fall in love and that's it, I'm going to marry. There are certain like people that I would just never date because I know our cultures will never kind of align. But when I was going through the hormone treatment and you're overstimulated and you're thinking like it was black men that I was attracted to. But it's one of those, it's, it's a genetic thing where you're thinking, okay, that's how the whole survival thing is Like animalistic happen. almost. It was, it's yeah. It's like, God, it was. this might not be my actual type of my true ambition in life, but this is my body's telling me that this is what I want. Exactly. So I don't watch porn, but I have a Peloton and Alex. <laughs> There's this guy called Alex from Peloton. He's so fucking funny and hot. That's so funny. So Nimco. Can we see what kind of DMs you get? Oh, God, yes. I've actually, I've, I'm very much open to getting DMs. But the ones that I've got are mostly from Somali or African men. I go through these different phases. Sometimes people are calling me a whore and telling me to cover up. And then other times they really want to date me. So here's nice. Ibrahim. So he'll just say this, hi, you nice. It's, but I think that that's better. Like most people just say hi. I'm a bit jealous of the you, you nice, nice bit. With a heart. I just <laughs> yeah, a heart. And a heart. Oh, this is the one that actually I quite like, which was quite interesting. Hi, can I learn more about your background? And then he mentioned me three days later. I remember your face and I know where I know you from. You came into Leon on Carnaby Street. Was this recently? No, this was like ages ago. So I just looked do into remember, my... Do you, do you remember? Do they ever any, <laughs> they ever fit? I feel like everyone who slides into my DMs is not hot. And then I've got friends who get real fitties and end up going no, out I don't think he's that fit. But it was just like... It was just so fucking weird. How the fuck he found me on Facebook? <laughs> that's that, that's like a pretty... Do you remember back in the day, it used to be that you put the little ads in the newspaper in the metro yeah, on your yeah, way yeah, to yeah. work. But now... Do you remember me? But it, no, but it's just really... So I thought maybe there was like a media story or whatever because like, I'm always getting dragged in the media. So maybe he must have seen it and then like was like, I've been I thinking about romantic. you all this... Like, I think it's fucking... But I don't know. I would find it romantic if Somali men haven't, haven't spent like five years trying to want to kill me. Yeah. Now I just kind of like... <laughs> have you ever received any nudes? from people um no unsolicited i've received unsolicited from like people that i have on whatsapp who what? during lockdown have just gone really crazy what like so you just suddenly out of the blue just get a dick pic yeah what, but but from your contacts and what yeah yeah from contacts there was this guy the other day he's like he messaged me and he's like what are you doing on monday i was like it's a global lockdown <laughs> and he's like i can come over and i was like we're in quarantine <laughs> And he's like, I'm exempt because he's a doctor. I'm like, I don't need your services. And if I did, you'd have to wear PPE. <laughs> because I sometimes I sometimes think that these people are just joking with me just to tell a story. So I'm thinking, right. are they saying I'm breaking lockdown? And then he just sent me a dick pic. Did you, you know? see the BBC lockdown rules? Did no. you see it when, oh my God, Sid showed it to it's me how, it's, it's positions you can have sex in. But you still have to be within two metres of each other. <laughs> so you're breaking the first rule. Sex. Maybe right. if you just use a really long dildo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, you can fuck, all right? But you have to do it doggy style. You're not allowed to be face to face. I'm really pedantic about these things. You're and not also, social distancing. it's mucous membrane. That's what happens inside a pussy. Against a dick. Mucous membrane. Yeah, it's like somebody... <laughs> actually, somebody had a conversation with me, ironically, about mucous membrane when we were talking about black women's vaginas. And he said, are they brown? I was like... Is the inside of your fucking mouth and black people's different? It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. It's like, no, it's pink. Like, yeah. He literally could not think of the fact that a black woman's vagina is internally pink was yeah. his main kind Who of was thing. This? this wasn't a doctor, was it? No, this, no, this wasn't a doctor. I think, might, I think it might be. No, he was a banker. But um, again, that's just like I say, they're going like, actually, no, it's like, it's pink like like white women's vagina. Yeah. And he was just kept on thinking, oh, wow. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're not going to see mine, but good luck. Is there any other oh, black woman out there? Have you ever sent any nudes? No. 
No. Literally, I don't get the idea of it. Do you know what? Because I'm, I'm working on this violence against women and girls strategy. Revenge porn has gone up. So there's a helpline and it's gone up by 300%, like the calls that they're getting. Because the whole point is people are stuck indoors and they are taking these pictures. And then they literally, mm. they're, they're matching with people that they would have never matched with before. Yeah. Mm. And now those things are being shared on the internet. But the whole point is because everybody thinks it's okay. There's actually like the laws catching up on that. Yeah. Literally, it, it is a violation. Mm. The idea, the fact that you are like, you know, digitally assaulted. I also think that there has to be a bit of a responsibility on the women. If you're not prepared for that picture to go somewhere else, I mean, it's not okay. You're doing something personal I mean, and private. But I, if I send a naked picture of myself, yeah. I know the risk that I'm doing. I think it, when it's different when you're a teenager and you're not really sure. I think as a grown woman, I think you need to know where that's going. I, I, I was told by a mutual friend of ours the other day that, because I didn't realise, because I've got loads of tattoos... Like, yeah. obviously, you can't get away with being like, that's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. I've just never done it. And it's a little bit like drugs as well. I've never done drugs either because I want to get to the position that I can tell my niece, well, you can't do those things. And she'll be like, well, you did it. I'm like, excuse me, actually, I fucking did not. Yeah, but I think that's just you, you just lie to the children. <laughs> that's my plan anyway. It's just one of those things. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. I just, I've seen the end results of what happens and actually how controlling men are. And this is what I mean Mm. about the fact of being a heterosexual woman in the sector that I work in. I meet like fucking disgusting men on a day-to-day basis and some of them are actually quite powerful. The idea, the fact that I had to be nice is so fucking ridiculous. It's just Mm. like the fact that I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, you know, I don't have the privilege in order to have my political opinions Mm. because there are women that depend on me, but you are disgusting. And then at the same time, I have to find one out there to fuck because yeah, I'm well, attracted it, to them. Of course. <laughs> it's, it's really it's, weird. I think that's like heterosexuality sometimes as women. Yeah. It's just really weird. It's like they are oppressed. It's like no other animal on the planet actually, like, you know, fucks or lusts for the thing that's actually killing them. So if you would set up with, uh, I'll start with the politician. Who, who do you think me and Sydney should go out with? If we were going to go out with one of them. I think, you know, I think his name is Dean. Look at Dean. This guy, Labour Dean. Dean, Labour <laughs> Dean. But I've already been out with the Dean. Yeah. But he is so nice. I, I, and you know what the funny thing was? I, I always like Twitter search him and then he was following me so I followed him back. And I was like, actually, you know what? I kind of agree with you because he was like, he was actually quite like yeah. He was okay, like no, 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 Deans. What was the other one you Labour said earlier? Dean. Yeah, I think his name's Dean or Dan, and he's, and he's from Liv- I think he's like Liverpool or Dan, somewhere out Liverpool. there. Dan Carden, Liverpool, Walton. This guy. Yeah, it's quite Tory. Well, that's what I mean. I think he's New Labour, so that's yeah, he is. He sounds really posh, but he looks better on Twitter. He looks better on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looks better on Twitter. Oh my god, this is hell. Oh my god, no, can we really he looks have well Tories. But that's what I mean. But he's Labour though. He's sweet. I guess he's, he's got a sweet face. So are you seeing anyone at the moment? No. I'm very single, and if anybody wants to slide into my DMs, please do. <laughs> See, I'm up for the DM slide, but a lot of people aren't. I'm really game I, for it. But what? Because I think anybody that does a DM slide for me, it's like they must know me from politically, so it's fine. Mm. I would rather get a DM slide of someone trying to ask me out than somebody telling me to go kill myself. Yeah. Mm. Which basically That's happens probably. all the time. Really? So Yeah. yeah it's, just, it's really nasty, actually, in there. Is it Should we majority talk about, men or women who send these kind of things? It's like, you know what? It's a bit of both. So it's really interesting. During the election, it was this whole kind of thing. I think I think this country does not actually understand race. I come from a family where not just everybody is black and Somali, everybody is from one city. So the idea of, of the fact that there's complexity in that is fine because I you know we're all black people that are different, but that doesn't translate very well into the UK kind of context. So there's this sense of like, you are either this or that rather than actually being able to kind of listen to people and have conversations. So during the election, it was so like weird, the hateful things that I would get. So the night of the election and then the Conservative Party won and I went to the rally and I was in this backstage bit. We had a party that had five ethnic minorities that were Secretary of State, stuff like that. And they were all sitting around. I just said, oh, I keep getting called coon. 
and their faces because I'd never grown up with that level of racism yeah. they'd grown up when the National Front was like yeah. on the doorstep and I saw like in their faces how hurt they were and that was last year that was last year but it was really interesting yeah. I was being called that from black people saying that I'd kind of internalised my white master to the point where I became them and I'm just thinking like have you actually been to Africa because Mm. like the African community like there's like diversity in that and I think a lot of people don't actually know many Africans or know the fact that like you know that they've grown up in the context of actually being a black person that has privilege and has platform Mm. and that's one of the reasons why when everybody gets like overexcited about like I love Kamala Harris it's great Obama was great but Obama doesn't have the lived experience and struggle of Michelle Obama or that girl that was the poet Amanda. They've had 400 years of struggle. Obama is like me. He was born to a man who grew up with nothing but in the country that he loved, so that's um, Africa, and a white mother, and he grew up in Hawaii. The idea that Michelle was living in the White House where her descendants had built as slaves, that's a real struggle. So that's why I differentiate the idea of saying African-Americans, I say black Americans, because Mm. they literally... Like, you know, Michelle Obama had more history in America than any other president ever because the idea of the fact that she can trace her lineage to 400 years. Mm. Like, Trump's been there since, I think, like, his family moved there in the, like, the 1900s. So he's, like, literally, he's just, like, a new fucking comer. Mm. And I think even Biden right now, I think his family, like, you know, left islands in, like, the 1920s or whatever. Mm. But the fact that you had, like, Michelle Obama living there, that's the kind of conversations that people don't have. So when we talk about, like, you know, Black Lives Matter... I completely understand that, but my greatest oppressor, if I'm actually going to get harmed or if anything's going to happen to me, it's going to be at the hands of an African man. Mm. And that is something that people don't understand, which I don't want to get too like political about it, but the African continent and the things I'm dealing with on the continent of Africa are not being done by Tory boys that went to Eton. So they're not my enemy. My, my enemy are actually people that look like me. Mm. And that's for me on a day-to-day basis, something that I just can't get people to understand. For example, when it comes to like chastisations and stuff like that, it is men from my own community and nobody wants to talk about that. And I think we just leave a lot of... I, I don't know. I just think that this country bends over backwards to do things but they never necessarily ask enough from people like me how can we resolve that just actually just being honest and being a, bit, a little bit more proud because like one of the things that I really hear about my lefty friends is when they talk about Brexit and they're like oh we're going to turn into the racist country of Europe I'm like have you actually been black in Europe mm. like France is fucking shit mm. Italy like literally how like last Christmas 2019 I was in Hungary and I'd been to Hungary several times and Budapest is lovely and I went there and because it was just a, such, such a hard year it's like you know the microaggressions of racism just like get on top of you on a day to day basis mm. and I was in a store and I asked for something and she just ignored me so I just started crying because I just thought like this is just like this would never happen in the UK but yeah. then on a day to day basis we're told that this is a racist country I'm like there's racism everywhere like in Africa we have civil wars because we have issues with with each other let alone just racism this country actually has done a lot to allow people to integrate mm. assimilate and actually classify it as their home so I'm just thinking sometimes we just have to have that conversation of saying Okay, listen, yeah. The, There's always progress that needs to be done. Yeah, there but... might be issues, but what? so what role do you have to play mm. in order to move things forward? Mm-hmm. Because, like I say, if you guys move to Africa, my mom's not going to open a pub for you guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to open churches. They're not going to start doing, like, pork and stuff like that. So, like, I can eat halal here, I can go to the mosque, I can practice yeah. my religion. I just think, like, we just don't celebrate it enough. So, yeah, that's just kind of my... But then I get... I literally would get lynched for saying that. Which is a shame because it's just pure honesty, yeah. isn't it? And I think, like you said, the honest conversation is almost as you know critical as the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Nimco, that's been Thank you brilliant. for having me. And also, just what a brilliantly abstract conversation in so Random. many ways. Yeah. It? 
very, Thank very, very interesting. I do hope on. you find uh, your Tory politician love one day. <laughs> well, I don't want him to be a politician because that'll be too. Um, I don't want the Daily Mail chasing me. So, so I, you know what? A good banker is what I want. Okay. Tall is my type, and like, you know, solvent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to our Spotify original podcast, Sex Lies and DM Slides. Please follow us on Spotify and tell all your mates about it if you enjoyed it. And if you have any weird and wonderful Sex Lies and DM Slides stories of your own, do slide into our DMs at Sydney Lima and at Gizzy Erskine. No dick pics, please. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sex Lies DM Slides. This Spotify original podcast is a Hayden Prowse production edited by Nick at Podmonkey with music by Freeseed Films. Our executive producers at Spotify are Rachel Simpson and Alexandra Aidy. 